The sun was barely over the horizon when our seasoned hunting troop of 31 hunters, myself included, assembled at the rendezvous point. We had been hired by a wealthy collector to track down and capture a rare cryptid rumored to possess mystical powers. The stakes were high, and the allure of the reward was enough to draw us all together, each of us an expert in our own right. As we delved deeper into the mystery, we quickly realized that we were not dealing with an ordinary creature. This cryptid was unlike anything we had ever encountered before, and it soon became apparent that we were caught in a deadly game of cat and mouse. We lost our fellow hunters one by one, each of them falling prey to the cryptid's cunning and ferocity. Our numbers dwindled and as the body count rose, so too did our fear. We knew that our only hope of survival lay in taking down the creature before it could pick us all off. In a climactic showdown, the creature struck with a terrifying speed and strength, killing 30 of my comrades. I, Joe, was the only one left standing. My heart pounded in my chest as I realized the enormity of the task that lay before me. Determined to avenge my fallen friends and fulfill our mission, I devised an elaborate plan to outsmart the cryptid. I studied the creature's movements and habits, identifying its weaknesses and using the natural terrain to my advantage. I discovered that the predator was a poor swimmer, and so I led it to a fast-flowing river, forcing the creature to enter the water where it was at a disadvantage. As the cryptid struggled against the powerful current, I struck, using my expert knowledge and skills to incapacitate the creature. It roared in pain and frustration, but I could see the fight draining from its eyes. As the creature lay defeated before me, I faced a difficult decision. I could capture the cryptid and deliver it to the wealthy collector, claiming the reward that had drawn us all into this deadly game. Or I could let the creature go free allowing it to return to the wild where it belonged. In the end, I chose the latter. I knew that no amount of money could ever make up for the lives that had been lost, and that the true value of the experience lay in the knowledge and understanding I had gained. As an ambitious archaeologist, I had always been captivated by the mysteries of the past, especially the stories of the long-lost Native American tribes. When I stumbled upon the ruins of one such tribe hidden deep within a dense forest, I knew I had made a monumental discovery. Among the artifacts I found was a set of ancient texts detailing their encounters with a mysterious and terrifying cryptid known as the Howling Wind. According to the texts, this creature was believed to control the weather and unleash devastating storms. I felt a mixture of excitement and trepidation as I continued my research, eager to unravel the secrets of this forgotten tribe. However, I could not foresee the consequences of my actions. By delving into the mysteries of the past, I had unknowingly unleashed the dormant spirits of the tribe's ancestors, angered by the desecration of their sacred grounds. These spirits sought vengeance. In their quest for justice, the spirits summoned the howling wind to terrorize the nearby modern Native American community. Unrelenting storms ravaged the land, and the people were left in a state of fear and despair, realizing the connection between my actions and the chaos that had befallen the community. I knew it was my responsibility to make amends. With the help of the community, we worked together to understand our ancestors' connection to the cryptid and find a way to bring peace to the land. We studied the ancient texts and discovered a possible solution. 
a gun filled with the poisonous blood of our ancestors, which was believed to have the power to defeat the howling wind. Determined to end the suffering of the people, I ventured into the heart of the storm to confront the howling wind. The creature's fury was unlike anything I had ever experienced, but I held on to the hope that our ancestors' wisdom would guide us to victory. As the wind howled around me, I took aim and fired the gun, the poisonous blood piercing the cryptid's ethereal form. The howling wind's screams filled the air as its power began to wane, and the storm finally subsided. The spirits of the ancestors, satisfied that their sacred grounds had been avenged, retreated into the realm of the past. With the chaos finally at an end, the community came together to rebuild and heal. We vowed to honor our ancestors by respecting the land and the ancient wisdom they had left behind. The story of the howling wind would live on as a reminder of the power of unity and the importance of understanding the past in order to protect our future. I never told this story to anybody but my daughter, because I knew nobody would believe me. I don't even believe it. I worked at a video store back in the early 90s, and this couple came up to the counter to pay for their movies. They were talking, and the girl was saying, I know what I saw, it was a centaur. And you know, and I was like, huh. Her friend said, you must have been drinking something or on drugs. After they left, I was thinking the same thing. That girl was on something because there's no such thing as a centaur. Fast forward a couple of months, me and my boyfriend were going to a racetrack about an hour away from our town. We were making small conversation, and I looked to the side of the road. The road we were on was known for deers, and I was looking out. As I continued to look, I saw a man on a horse, and as we got closer, it wasn't a man on a horse, he was a part of the horse. I turned to my boyfriend and asked him, did he see it? He didn't, and I was not going to tell him what I saw, because he didn't believe in that sort of thing. I wondered if this was what the girl in the video store saw. I just can't believe what I saw. A centaur that's made up. The sweltering South American jungle loomed before me as our helicopter touched down, the humid air sticking to my skin like a second layer. I was part of an elite Navy SEAL team, and our mission was to rescue a group of kidnapped scientists taken by a rogue paramilitary organization. As we made our way deeper into the jungle, we quickly discovered that the dangers went beyond armed combatants. The jungle was infested with monstrous creatures, known only in local legends as Nightfall. These creatures were the stuff of nightmares, with piercing red eyes and razor-sharp claws that tore through the darkness with ease. Navigating the treacherous terrain, we fought valiantly against both the creatures and the paramilitary forces, each step bringing us closer to the captured scientists. Along the way, we uncovered a sinister plot. The rogue organization planned to weaponize the cryptids for global domination. Time was of the essence. We had to foil their plan before the world was plunged into chaos. As we neared the heart of the enemy's base, it became apparent that we were outmatched. The nightfall creatures were relentless, and the paramilitary forces were better prepared than we had anticipated. One by one, my brothers in arms fell, and the hope of completing our mission began to fade. In a final, desperate assault, we managed to free the scientists and sabotage the rogue organization's plans, but the price we paid was steep. My entire unit was wiped out, leaving me as the sole survivor. I carried the weight of my fallen comrades as I returned home, 
ready to share the truth about the horrors we had faced. But the government had other plans. They covered up our mission, erasing any evidence of the Nightfall creatures and the rogue organization's plot. Our sacrifices were swept under the rug, deemed too dangerous for the public to know. And so, I am left with the memories of my fallen brothers and the knowledge of a threat that still lurks in the shadows. The world may never know the true story of our mission, but I will never forget the bravery of my team as we faced the unimaginable. In the end, we may have stopped a global catastrophe, but the cost of our victory will haunt me for the rest of my days. A friend and I were day hiking on a somewhat off the beaten path part of a trail near a local swimming hole. We stopped to have a snack next to the creek and shortly after we noticed a middle-aged man wearing short neon orange wind shorts walking quickly up the trail toward us on the other side of the creek. When he was directly across the creek from us, he sat down on a rock, maybe 10-15 feet away from us. He was somewhat obscured by vegetation but we heard what sounded like him squeezing sunscreen into his hands or something. We didn't think much of it at first, but he just sat there staring at us and moving kind of weird. We finally realized he was vigorously jerking off. We started yelling at him to go away and threw the apples we were eating at him as we grabbed our backpacks to leave. I swear I heard his jizz hit the water as he finished. All of this happened in like less than five minutes. We got the F out of there and warned a couple we ran into on the trail near the parking lot our way out. I don't know if he had been waiting or the opportunity just presented itself. It's not so much that the action itself was shocking to me, but it was the first time I realized that as a woman, I still have to be aware of my surroundings when I'm camping or hiking, like I would go into my car at night in a parking lot. Before that, I'd always felt safer in nature because I didn't think I had to worry about people. I am a small woman who loves solo camping. I know all the stories. I know it can be dangerous. I do my research, and I go in safe as I can. Not a gun person, but I bring the loud alarms, bear and pepper spray, and I always stop at the ranger sites on the way in to say, hey, I'm here, this where I'm going to be and this is when I'm hiking back out. I am very aware of my surroundings. I usually go late fall because I hate the heat and backpack in. This time of year, I'm often the only source of light for a while around, which means all the moths come to me and my fire, and then all the bats beat at the side of my tent for an hour or so after I stop reading and turn off all the lights. It was creepy my first year, but I didn't mind it anymore. It was about half an hour after all the bats had given up hopped in all the bugs I'd drawn to my little oasis, when I started hearing them beating their wings in the trees again. I gathered my sprays and horn, but it was just the beating of their wings. No light, so I figured maybe they had decided to nest over my campsite. I tried to go to sleep, but my neck was prickly. About an hour later I heard screaming, humans screaming. I tried to call the ranger number, but no signal. I stayed awake all night and heard nothing else. Hiked out that day. Rangers said they didn't know anything. Went back, packed my shit up, and went home even though I had another few days of vacation left. Didn't feel right. A few weeks later, it was reported that two women went missing in that park while I was there. Never found. I still go solo camping. I always follow my gut.
It was Christmas Day, late afternoon. I have a ham in the oven and we're waiting for it to be done. My husband and his dad went to the neighborhood Quick Mart. They were driving home and turned onto our street, which is just down the block from a school. They see what they thought was a hang glider landing on the football field. They remember, it's Christmas Day and we live in a very suburban neighborhood less than a mile from downtown. Who would be hang gliding on Christmas Day when the area is full of houses? trees, etc. They saw a human figure gliding in the air about 100 yards above the ground, and the car was about 30 yards from it. My husband describes it like this. It was light gray as if it is a smooth suit, with no scales or bumps. It seemed to be wearing goggles. He did not see arms. He saw wings behind him like the ice skater racers in the Olympics, arms close to the body but maneuvering. Its wings were not feathered but does not have any more details. At no time did it unfurl them completely. The thing seemed to realize that it was being watched and it rose and it suddenly changed direction. My husband tried to trail it in the car, but it flew away quickly. I was hiking a local, but rarely used trail a couple winters back. The sun was setting, so the woods were starting to get dark, but no worries as I only had a couple miles left to get back to my car. I came to a spot in the trail where it winds down a rather steep, 40-foot high ledge. I stopped for a minute to gather myself and pick my route down the ledge when I spotted someone down below, near a small stream crossing about 50 feet from the bottom of the ledge. I couldn't see the person very well in the gathering darkness, but I noticed he appeared to be dressed head to foot in all white clothing. Unusual, but not all that weird, I figured. I picked my way down the ledge mostly facing I toward the rock as I went, so I didn't see the guy again until I was at the bottom. By that time I was close enough to see that he was not wearing all white clothing. He was in fact naked except for a pair of tidy whiteies and a fur hat with ear flaps deployed. As soon as I saw him, he appeared to duck down behind a low mound. The trail went right where he was, so I proceeded forward because, you know, no big deal, right? After taking a few steps in his direction, I realized he was actually sitting in the stream, in his underwear, in the rapidly darkening woods. In winter, there was snow on the ground, two miles from the nearest trailhead road. He finally looks over at me and says, you're probably wondering what I'm doing, right? Yeah, I was wondering about that. You okay? Yep, I'm doing one of those polar bear challenges next week and thought I should get some practice in beforehand. Okay. He climbs out of the stream and starts walking over to me. I don't know if this guy's legit or just a crazy person, so I start moving up the trail toward a junction a very short distance past the creek crossing. I stop there for a minute to read the trail sign and verify I'm going the right way and he catches up to me. He gets a little closer to me than I'd like, him being basically naked and all. So I casually take a step back and he promptly takes a step forward, closing the gap once again. Are you heading toward Redname? He says. I was but didn't want him to know where I'm going as he's starting to freak me out a little bit. Standing there in his underwear, dripping wet. No. I tell him I'm heading the other way, toward other road. That's a long way. Yeah, I'm training for a long snow hike and trying to get some miles in. It's going to be dark soon. I could give you a ride to your car. No thanks, I was planning to be out late and have my headlamp with me. You sure? Yep. Thanks for the offer though. There's a long pause here, while we both study the trail sign. 
or pretend to. Then he turns to me and says, You probably think I'm some kind of crazy person, don't you? Well, you were sitting naked in a stream in the middle of winter. I say jokingly, Yeah, I could see how that looks a bit odd. No worries. I've probably done some pretty odd things in my life. Yeah, like what? I didn't know what to say, as I wasn't sure I'd actually done anything that odd before. So I say, Oh, I don't know. I'm sure there's something. Anyway, I need to get moving. You sure you're okay? Yeah, I'm good. Hey, maybe I'll go that way with you, and you can maybe give me a ride back to my car. Okay, so there's no way I'm doing that. I just want to get away from this guy, who I suddenly notice is either really well hung, or is getting about a half a chub. Dude, you're naked and wet. It's literally freezing out, and it's five miles to the other end of the trail. You should probably just get back to your car and get some dry clothes on and warm up. Yeah, you're probably right. With that, he turns and starts jogging up the trail. Since I actually needed to go that way, I considered following him after giving him a healthy head start, but couldn't shake the thought of him ducking off the trail and waiting for me to come by. So I hiked the other direction to a point where I could loop back to my car on a different trail. I was glad to finally see my car. By now it was around 8 p.m. and jumped in and locked the door before changing into my street shoes. I looked around to see if there were any cars parked nearby, but didn't see any. However, as I left the parking lot, I did see an older Jeep Cherokee parked along the road. I couldn't tell if anyone was in it, but didn't waste any time getting back to someplace less remote. My parents owned a cabin in the woods of Virginia. Well, shortly after purchasing it, it both my mother and sister told me they thought the cabin was haunted. I didn't laugh, but I laughed to myself. I don't believe in that sort of thing. They said that they would lock the door at night and wake up in the morning, and the door would be sitting wide open. My sister said she thought someone was pranking them, and even accused me of driving two hours into the countryside to prank them then turn around and drive two and a half hours home. No, I did not do that, so I dismissed their silliness. So about a year or two later, I decided it would be cool to visit the cabin during the winter. Everyone waited until good weather to go. I had just bought a Jeep, and it was supposed to snow a few inches, so it seemed like a fun adventure. I drove to the cabin, and it was staring to lightly snow when I arrived. It was very cold inside, and out at 12 degrees F. I lit the wood stove, and stoked it up to warm up the place up, and it was taking forever. I got the temperature up to about 35 indoors, and decided to go to bed. So, remembering the stories about the door, I checked both doors, locked them, and pulled hard on the knobs to ensure they were actually locked while laughing to myself. I put an extra quilt on the bed, crawled into the freezing bed, which warmed up quickly, and fell asleep. I had this nightmare that I woke up, and the cabin was incredibly cold, so I walked from the bedroom to the living area to relight the wood stove and the door was sitting open. I turned to my right, and there was a seven-foot-tall humanoid creature which had an exoskeleton like an insect. Its eyes were red, and its knees bent opposite of humans. Like some birds, the nightmare startled me awake. I was laying there in bed for a moment, and I realized that the room was incredibly cold. I got up to go check the fire, and when I stepped into the living area, the door was sitting wide open and snow had blown in on the floor. Remembering the dream and the creature area, where the creature stood was pitch black dark. I frantically fumbled for the light switch, 
and the lights came on, and nothing was there. I got dressed and walked to the door, and looked at the snow. There were no footprints of any kind in or outside the cabin door. I'd like to add that at no time did we ever arrive at the cabin to find the door open. The door opened only when people were staying in the cabin. It also was not dependent on the fire being lit. One of my theories was it was heat expansion, but my family stayed there during nice weather and rarely lit a fire. I never stayed alone in the cabin again. A few years back, I was visiting Australia with my family. We're visiting some friends in Mildura, and we decide to go visit an old sheep-shearing building that was historic or something. Anyhow, the doors to the farm-like building are shut, and while we're standing around taking photos, classical music is playing. Not a recording or anything. It sounded like people using violins and trumpets. I'm an awful writer, so I can't really explain it, but it just sounded like someone was doing it for a party. Then it stopped. No instruments. And all the folding chairs folded up. I ignored it, assuming it was probably just a radio. But then once we left about 10 meters, we hear a blood-curling scream. It sounded like a man. And we run inside the farm, and nothing's there. The rain poured relentlessly on the city streets as I parked my squad car near the crime scene. It was a familiar sight. A dimly lit alley with yellow tape marking the perimeter. Another murder, another night spent chasing shadows. I tightened my rain-soaked coat around me and stepped out, the wet pavement reflecting the eerie glow of the streetlights. I'm Joe, a seasoned police officer with a deep passion for books. When I'm not patrolling the city, I find solace within the pages of mystery novels and thrilling tales. Little did I know that the lines between fiction and reality were about to blur. The victims, their bodies marked with deep claw-like wounds were reminiscent of a monstrous creature straight out of a horror novel. The city buzzed with whispers of a cryptid lurking in the shadows, haunting our streets. But something told me there was more to this case than mere folklore. As I delved deeper into the investigation, my instincts led me down an unexpected path. The evidence pointed not to an unknown creature, but to a man, someone who had meticulously crafted claws and was using them to commit these horrifying acts. The brutality of it all was chilling. Then, a break in the case came unexpectedly. A neighbor reported a sighting. A man fitting the description, seen walking the streets with claws protruding from his hands. It was a lead worth pursuing, and I couldn't ignore the urgency. I paid a visit to the neighbor, hoping to gather more information. His eyes widened with fear as he recounted the encounter. He had stumbled upon our suspect his face twisted with malice and his eyes burning with an otherworldly hunger. The neighbor's description matched the eerie marks left on the victims, leaving no room for doubt. Determined to put an end to this reign of terror, I embarked on a relentless search for the man behind the claws. Every piece of evidence, every witness account, led me closer to the truth. But the city seemed to conspire against me, as if it wanted to protect its own dark secret. Days turned into sleepless nights, my mind consumed by the riddles that lay before me. I grew restless, haunted by the shadows that danced at the edge of my vision. It felt as if I were living within the pages of one of my beloved mysteries, caught between the realms of reality and fiction. Finally, after tireless pursuit, I cornered the man, our killer, in a dilapidated warehouse. 
His eyes, devoid of humanity, reflected a sinister satisfaction. There was no remorse, only a twisted pleasure in the suffering he had inflicted upon innocent lives. In a tense standoff, I drew my weapon, my heart pounding with a mix of fear and determination. The echoes of the rain against the metal walls seemed to synchronize with the adrenaline rushing through my veins. It was a battle between a man consumed by his monstrous desires and a cop who refused to succumb to the darkness. With every ounce of strength, I apprehended the man, the claws slipping from his hands as he fell to his knees. The nightmare that had gripped the city was over, but its impact lingered within me. As I stood there, rain dripping from my coat, I couldn't help but ponder the thin line that separates reality from the stories we tell. The pages of my books had shaped my perception of the world, but it was on these rain-soaked streets that I truly learned the depths of human darkness. I was coming back on a long hike to the Oxine. On our way back, daylight was closing on me. I were a more calm part of the dunes, and there were not a lot of four-wheelers, I this part of the dunes. I entered a small part of Foret and could barely hear the faint whisper of the creek. I was glazing around and saw a large jagged rock on my left. It started drizzling, and I threw up my hood, blocking my side views of the scene. I was about halfway through when I heard stealthy pats. I immediately froze. I had no clue what it could be. I turned around just in time to see a large furry leg slip around a bend. It was large and seemed human-like. I believe it was Bigfoot and clearly it was not trying to harm me. I was petrified to give chase and I sprinted all the way to my car. In August of 1998, I hiked into the Sky Lake Wilderness to Squaw Lake to fish. Squaw Lake is located in dense alpine forests approximately southeast of the upper end of Four Mile Lake and reached by trail three miles from the Four Mile Lake campground. When I reached the lake, mosquitoes were so bad that I made my way to the lake shore where an onshore wind kept most of them away from me. At the shore I fished for a while, when the wind briefly changed direction, blowing offshore. As the wind changed, I noticed a very foul smell. I remember thinking that there must be something dead in the willow thicket about ten feet on the other side of the trail from where I was standing on the lake shore. This smell was followed shortly by a sound like something hitting a tree with a large rock or branch. This was followed a while, later by what I passed off as a bird. But it was not like a sound made by a bird, more like a high-pitched howling. This sound was like the scream recorded in Ohio. This scream was followed by the tree pounding sound again. By this time I was becoming very unnerved and had an increasingly overwhelming feeling of being watched, and I did not want to find out what it was. So I gathered up my courage, made my way through the mosquitoes back to the trail, returned to the trailhead, and left the area. I was looking out a second-story window in the Sandy Inn Hotel in Sandy. I was facing the north, toward the woods and the Columbia River beyond. Before I go any further, I'd like to emphasize that I'm not sure that I actually heard a Bigfoot sound. I am mainly putting it on here because I've thought about it in depth. That's why the delay in reporting. And the only thing in my memory that has any resemblance at all to what I've heard is the past audio recordings of Bigfoot. What I heard had better audio. I still wonder if this was a Bigfoot. How or why it would have been near a town, but I have no other explanations. I was in Sandy, 
Oregon with my family during the weekend of July 21, 23, 2000. We were staying at the Sandy Inn, which is just west of the main part of town. It was hard to sleep the night of the 21st. It was very humid and some thunderstorms did move through about midnight or so. I was up several times during the night, either to shut the window, open the window, turn on the air conditioning, etc. I got up once around 3 or so in the morning on the 22nd after the storms passed. I was sticking my head out of our second story window, enjoying some cool air and kind of looking off into the woods toward the north. There was not a sound anywhere that I could hear. No cars on the highway. Nothing. Then I heard a very indescribable sound. I thought at first it was tire screeching, but as the seconds passed I realized a car would have to be burning rubber for a long ways. Then as I kinda cleared my head I thought it sounded like a man screaming or better yet, wailing. But I've never heard a human do a sound like that either. It was not a moan or howling with an O sound. It was more like I-A-I-I, -I -I, very high-pitched. It won't do me much good to try to interpret the sound in letters. But the way the pitch of the sound went up and down so fast, I've never heard any animal or human do that. And I've heard quite a lot of animals. If a, a human did what I heard, they'd bust their vocal cords. It went on for about 20 seconds, maybe a little longer but not sure of that. It did seem to kind of trail off at one point then come back. I know it was long enough for me to get a good listen. It was not close by either. The window faced toward the north, so it's possible that's where it came from, but I can't be sure of that. It seemed like it was off in the distance somewhere. When it started, it was rather quiet and ended trailing off in the same manner it started. Even though I was a bit groggy, it was weird enough to wake me up and even scare me a bit. I didn't think too much of it at the time, but the next morning I was thinking to myself, what was that? I didn't report it or consider that until now because I wasn't sure and after a while, I honestly had forgotten about it until something in my mind triggered it again. All I can say is, if it wasn't a Bigfoot, fine, but please tell me what it was. I've worked as a paramedic or firefighter for 10 plus years, and I always laugh when people tell me I'm crazy for hunting in the middle of nowhere, be afraid of animals, etc. I always laugh and tell them the crap I've seen people do always worries me more than the mostly predictable behavior of animals. I have two stories, one hunting, one non. I'll tell the hunting as it's the red. I live in upstate New York, and we frequently get lied to about what kind of animals are here. The local DAC has a long history of introducing predators and denying their existence until it's blatantly obvious. So this year, my dad and I are bow hunting. We meet up and are walking out just before dark. Just wanted to do an afternoon stalk hunt together, like when I was a kid. I was led and coming over a knoll that I have shot a lot of nice deer out of including a good buck last year. Suddenly my dad, who is steps behind me, is hissing coyote. I turn and look and I can't see anything. He then tells me you're looking right at it in my mind. I'm looking for a coyote like I've seen my whole life. Scraggly narrow face with brownish white colors. The first thing I saw was the eyes. Wild. Yellow eyes connected to a black face with a huge head and almost silver mane. I grew up with German shepherds and this dog was easily 9100 plus pounds. 
not 30-40 pounds like most of the coyotes I've encountered, but was most certainly not a house pet. We also were miles from anyone's house and on private land. I've never had an animal look at me like that before. It was not afraid and definitely was sizing me up. More predatory than I've ever had a black bear look at me. So as I was changing arrows, was not about to send a $35 iron will at it. My bow release hit my bow limb and the loud metallic clang and sent the dog running. We both stood for a moment, not saying anything, and my dad goes, you're gonna think I'm crazy, but I think that was. A wolf I finished his sentence before he could. My dad said he was watching a pine lot just to our left and saw the dog coming running out at us, stopping about 40 yards away. I never even heard the thing. It was as though it was hunting us, not just a random encounter where we crossed paths. I told a few co-workers about it, and they all said I was crazy. Then a few weeks later, my buddy sent me this picture of a guy he knows that hunts about 20 minutes from Iwas. DDC told him it was a koi dog. I'm not so sure about that. You guys have more experience with wolves than I do, but to me, that looks like what I saw, and that is a wolf in my book. Me and a bunch of friends went camping back in June of 2000, up past Fall Creek, Oregon. It was dusk when I saw it, and what happened was, I was standing there, it's been so long, I really don't remember what I was doing at the time, but I do know for sure, I felt like someone was staring at me, and I also got this weird burning feeling of like adrenaline in my mind. Even though my tent was like four or five feet from the camp, I looked out toward the campfire, I could see everybody we were camping with right there. But I looked to the direction of where I got that feeling. I don't know how I just knew to look that way, but I did, and I seen it standing about eight or nine feet away. I felt this petrified feeling, and in the three seconds which seemed so long I thought run, but at the same time, I thought keep looking to make sure what you're looking at is real. Oh, it was real, I swear by it. I just went into the tent and I didn't say anything to anybody we were camping with. I felt the crowd of about 11 people might have made fun of me or something. But later on that night, when my boyfriend CW came to bed, I told him and of course he didn't believe me. My best friend was going out with CW brother, and at about 4 o'clock in the morning when everybody was just starting to go to bed my best friend, and my boyfriend's brother got in a fight that woke almost everybody up. Tabby my BF went running away from the camp, and I got up, and so did my boyfriend to talk to his brother. I went to find Tabby, in about five minutes or so, we all heard the loudest scream. Of course it was my friend that screamed, but as everybody went toward the area of where we all heard the scream, she was running toward us with the most petrified look, saying, oh my god. We were like, what? She said when she was down by the creek after her, and SW were arguing she felt weird, and she wanted to come back. So as she was climbing up the embankment, by the river, it was right there at the top, just hunched over, looking at her. After she told that, to everybody I knew, I believed her because of what I saw everybody else. Well, a couple people didn't believe her, but I know for a fact what I saw, and I didn't even tell her until after it happened, and she came up and said what she seen, in case anyone is wondering what it is. It is Sasquatch. I never, ever thought I would be saying that I guess I had to see it for myself. But the Sasquatch I seen wasn't like Harry and the Hendersons it had hair like an orangutan, but a little bit thicker and wasn't as big. 
It seemed like it was about six feet. I get a feeling it was a female for some reason. I could be wrong. All I know what I seen was real. Its eyes from what I could tell looked dark. I never had a feeling that it was going to hurt me. I think I was just scared because I never seen anything like it. A while after that, my friend Tabby told her dad and he was like, Oh yeah, that's the wild man of Windberry Creek. He said it like it was nothing. I know Tabby's mom used to bartend at Fall Creek Tavern, and they were around a lot of things said. Loggers would come in and or friends and talk about things, and apparently we weren't the first ones to have seen it in that area. Her mom bartended there about 25 years ago, and it was being seen then too. Except we know it's not a wild man, it's a Sasquatch. That's just what they called it back then. So yeah, it's been being seen in that area from different people for 25 years.